In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. A lot to get to here as we do our second show of the week, just as promised. Uh, we've got a great interview coming up here with BadgerBlitz.com's John McNamara. But, Jesse, I figured we'd start first uh, with some injury updates that we got from Paul Christ on Tuesday. And, you know, the one we were kind of unsure of when we were talking the last time was Danny Davis. He hadn't practiced. It had been... You know, he went four days without practicing due to a head injury. We all know about the head issues that he dealt with last year, caused him to miss the final five games of last season. Uh, certainly, uh, at least in my mind, that would lead to some concern. Uh, talking to some guys, they were not concerned. And Paul Chris said at his press conference that he's kind of ex- he's expecting Danny to be available. And big news, obviously, for Wisconsin's offense because of what he can do. And as we touched on in the, the last episode, that if he's not available, it, it bumps everybody else up a notch, but yeah, it was definitely a concern just because of what's happened in the past with Danny and we'll, we'll see for certain who's out there on Saturday morning at 11. Yeah, we do have, well, we, we have another week and a half to go, right? Like we're, we're doing this on a Thursday, got nine days before Wisconsin will take on Penn state. Yeah. I don't I, like, I don't expecting and, and actually happening. We'll, we'll see, but they desperately need him out there. There's, there's no doubt about that. they, are a different offense, I think, with him on it. Now, he's not like – here's the thing. Like, he is not an elite receiver, right? Like, he's not a, a guy that's going to be a, a first or second round pick. He's not Quintess Cephas. So, he's not I – mean, I don't think he's going to be like a, a, you know, a day two or maybe even a late, late draft pick. But he just – and Graham Mertz said this. He just brings a different element to the game that I don't think other guys have simply because of his experience. And, you know, he's been productive when healthy for the most part. He's been productive when healthy. Right. And, and I don't even think it matters what his as NFL potential is. He's a he's a good college player and he's he's what Wisconsin needs this season because of his ability to stretch the field, get vertical, make those one handed catches, go up in traffic. He can do a lot of different things. And obviously that opens everything else up. It opens things up for Jake Ferguson when you've got a, a downfield threat like that or Kendrick Pryor or Chimray DK. And it also opens things up in the running game. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question how, how valuable he is to the offense. And we saw what a difference it made when he and Kendrick Pryor weren't in there last year. Yeah. And again, I, I we always go back to those first two games. They averaged 47 points a game against Illinois and Michigan. Then they didn't score 10 in any of the next three games. So I don't know how much the other defenses that they were facing those next three games were certainly much better than what Michigan or Illinois put out on the field last year. But it's still, I think, noteworthy to to mention that. Um, the other injury update, and I guess it wasn't necessarily Paul Chris, but, uh, you know, in speaking with Tyler Beach on Monday, at uh, inside the uh, McLean Center, he is progressing. Now, I, 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 I'm sure this was out there, obviously. He, he, I think he talked to a bunch of different people, but he wouldn't come clean on exactly what the injury, uh, how it happened, but it was a foot injury that he suffered just before fall camp opened. He had surgery, said, you know, like a week or so before fall camp opened. So he's just, he's not even really a month out from that surgery, and yet he you know, was working his way back. We saw him go from a, a boot on the first day of practice to pads. The last time we saw him, he was out in practice on, on Tuesday, said he did some one-on-ones on Monday. And the hope was to be back into the team drills when they start prepping for Penn State on Monday. But getting him back, obviously, the, the inexperience behind him is significant. It, it, it sounds as if they're going to have him and Logan Bruss back and they're going to have their offensive line that 
their best the best offensive line they can put out there is what they're going to have. Right. Having Tyler Beach and Logan Bruss as your two tackles is huge. You've got a ton of experience, and I think that line with those two out there is, is formidable. And we obviously saw the changes that they had to deal with, especially at left tackle during fall camp, because Logan Brown was dealing with a head injury. He was just sort of starting to come into his own, but didn't play a ton last year. And then they were down to, they put Riley Malman there. And, and by the end, they, they moved Cormac Sampson over from guard to left tackle, which, I mean, kudos to him. That says a lot about his versatility, that he can play any position on the line. But no question, you want Beach there. That's why Joe Rudolph ultimately moved Beach way back in the spring, because he felt like it gave him the most flexibility and versatility. Obviously, it gave Bruss an opportunity to go back to right tackle. And Jack Nelson, the beast that he is already as a redshirt freshman, could start at guard. So... Yeah, I think um, it does appear to be good news. Things seem to be trending in the right direction, but they've they've still got a little bit of time to heal. And and the continuity is is important. Maybe it doesn't matter so much for, or as much for a guy who's played that much, but I, I it's still very important. It's it's because they haven't got reps together. That five that they're going to use, especially when you consider that as things stood when we stopped watching that Joe Tipman had moved into a starting center role. So it'll really be a new group of five um, with Tipman and with Nelson. So they, they need that week of preparation going into Penn state. I will say that. And I asked Tyler about this, the ability to take almost every single rep with the first team in spring, that group of five, obviously was Caden Lyles at center, but the, the other four were all together, right? So it was, you know, Tyler beach and, and Josh Seltzner. And then it was Jack Nelson and Logan Bruss in the spring. And, um, you know, not having fall camp sucks, but the ability to have those 15 practices, he, he mentioned it on Monday, how, how important it was because yes, he has played a lot, but he hasn't played a ton at left tackle, right? I mean, he was the starting right tackle for much of last year. Um, but he, and I think he started one game for Cole Van Landon the year before at left tackle, but for the most part, hasn't been involved, but yeah, the ability to have those 15 practices together, uh, because you weren't, because he missed all of, pretty much all of fall camp was huge. I think I, 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 you know, you're right. They need the continuity, but they did have the, that time in the spring. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what an offensive line needs. You got to be able to work together and, and, and that they haven't had that opportunity in the fall. So I, I do think it'll come together this week, but I think of even, I mean, remember last season um, going into the opener, they, now I'm blanking on it. Was it, was it Bruss who wasn't available or they, they had to yeah. move some pieces around and Rudolph got to the point where like we saw who the starting five was and it wasn't what you would expect. But he said, I got to a point where I had to put somebody in a certain spot and leave him there so he could learn it. Um, that stuff really matters. Yeah, it was because John Dietzen, I think, started at right guard that game. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I Because I, I went back and looked. I was looking, you know, when I was talking talking with Tyler, I was looking back, you know, where he exactly he was at last year. And so, no, you're right. I'll say this. Um, it started on media day with Joe Rudolph talking about Jack Nelson's get off, like how mm -hmm. aggressive he was, how quick he was. Right. And he thought that it was a really good match with Logan Bruss because of how quick and how fast he gets off. And when I talked to Graham Mertz about Joe Tipman, he said the exact same thing about Joe. It was like, his his ability to get off the ball so quick is just just stands out like it's just he's so physical and he was able to I mean they we all know how good Keanu Benton is and at points in this camp Tyler said you could see Joe along with a guard pushing Keanu five ten yards deep like that's that's the type of tenacity and, and the strength that they get with Joe Tipman in the middle and I I 
you know, that's not a hit on Caden Lyles. He's he's a little bit of a different player than than Joe is. Joe's, I think, a really good run blocker. I think he's probably still maturing as a pass blocker, which is usually, I think, usually the case with a lot of guys coming in. But uh, that right that right side, along with Joe, feels like it's a, an opportunity that you're gonna you're gonna be seeing a lot of things to the right side. I think early in the season, just because how quickly those guys get off the ball, and, and even you know Jack Nelson pulling and that type of stuff. I think you're gonna see a ton of that just because of their athletic ability up front now. Joe is big, powerful, and versatile, and I suppose you can say that about most Wisconsin offensive linemen because they recruit to that, and, and Rudolph teaches that. But he's six six, three hundred twenty pounds, and I believe I mentioned this on our last show. Just he's so versatile that. That is the thing that appealed most to Rudolph in recruiting, that he played left tackle in high school. He was going to be a guard here. But but one of the things that Rudolph said when I talked to him in media day was he said, I think, because at the time, he said, Joe's going to get most of his reps at center, but he'll be at center and guard. He said, I just think strength-wise, he gives you an opportunity at center to really feel comfortable in that close contact area, which I mean, there's a very uh, inside baseball football term, but I, I thought that was kind of interesting. He he. He saw something special in, in his strength and his snapping ability. And you're right, the, the get off, it has a chance to be special. And, you know, I know we're only, we're, we're still haven't gotten to this season, but man, that line has a chance to be uh, something pretty incredible in the future when you consider that there's a lot of talent in the last three recruiting classes that are just getting started. Yeah, we, we obviously talked about that a little bit last on the last show. Uh, so those, I think those were the two introductions. I guess you'd say, probably throw Jack Van Dyke in there as well. He thinks he's going to, Paul Chris thinks they're going to get him back as well. I, I don't know if, does he enough have enough time to get back in and, and be the guy come Saturday? This is just, this is just timing up to be so bad for them on Saturday. Uh, <laughs> in terms of ki- a kicker? Yes. Like it, <laughs> it is just, yeah, it's the timing on this. It just is, isn't good at all, but um, they do have a two year starter with Colin Larsh. You know, it's not like they, they're bringing in it, but he wasn't, wasn't going to be the guy. Like no, he but he's capable starter. of doing it. Is I mean, like it's not it's not as though there's a true freshman who, who's never kicked in his life. Um, is it ideal? No, but it's a better situation than they could be in. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how long it takes for a kicker to get ready if, if you've got a week. If that's enough time, assuming he is healthy. But uh, I we'll see how much of an adventure the kicking game is this year. Timing, I mean, by like, you know, getting Jack Van Dyke back and then throwing him into the mix right away. Like, you know, is he back now or is he going to be back next week? Like, what what is that timing? And and do you know, does he have enough to get going? I don't know. It we'll see. I guess that's another question for Paul come Monday. But yeah, not not a huge fan of uh, of how that is all playing out. I guess I should also mention that uh, Logan Brown, you mentioned with the head injury, uh, was back at practice on Tuesday when, when Paul Christ was talking, could see Logan working in the back, was actually working out with Tyler Beach. Both were uh, in, in pads. So um, Logan Brown obviously back as well. That's a huge benefit in case, you know, Tyler can't go a full game or whatever it is. You have Logan be able to stick in there. So I wanted to move on here and, and cause I think that there, for, for whatever reason, there is some building uh, belief. I don't even know if that's the word. I don't even know if that's the term I should use, but a, a few, and I'm, we'll, we'll call out the associated press. Uh, Ralph Russo um, has put in out their season predictions and he's got Wisconsin beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten and going to the college football playoff. Is that a bold take, Jesse, or is that just trying to be different? It's 
both. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> I I think there's comes a time where you just want to do something a little bit different and make a bold prediction. I'll believe it when I see it. Ohio State is clearly the cream of the crop, and it's not just a Wisconsin problem. It's an everybody else in the Big Ten problem. But that's where things are at Wisconsin. The, the bar has been raised to the point that it's not just enough to get to the Big Ten championship game. I mean, I say this all the time, and I was just talking about this recently with a colleague that just over the course of a 60-minute game, the talent level at Ohio State almost always wins out against Wisconsin, and certainly what we've seen in the last several years. So can Wisconsin give itself a chance? Yeah, they've got to do it first, but I'm not going to pick against Ohio State at this point. Somebody else is going to have to beat them. Well, the ridiculous thing about this is, you know, everyone, like you can make that prediction. No one's going to remember it come December if it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like no one's, but if it's right, oh, look what I did back in August. You know, like no one's going to remember any of that. It's, uh, it's one of those predictions like, oh, okay. Yep. Uh huh. Sure. Whatever. No one, it's just not going to matter come December if you're wrong. But if you're right, you can be like, ah, yes, I am so (laughs) smart. I am amazing. I picked this. I don't see it like the last 10 years. It's been over. It's been 10 years, I guess, 11 years since they beat Ohio State. Yep. Now, I think it's worth noting that they've come close a couple of times, uh, especially the last two Big Ten title games. Right. They were right there in 2017. They were 43 yards away, um, but couldn't couldn't get it. And then obviously in 2019, they had a, a double digit lead in the first half, but couldn't hold it. So they've they've played them tough enough, but they haven't proven they can beat them yet. And uh, I think there's still, you know, we don't know what kind of this Wisconsin team is going to exactly be. There's, there's obviously high expectations. You don't start 12th in the country for nothing. But, I, you know, we believe that Graham Mertz is a good quarterback. He needs to still prove that, right? We, we know that they get Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor back. They've got some nice weapons. They still need to prove they can stay healthy. The offensive line has been far from dominant the last, I mean, especially last year and even, you know, the year before, and, and especially in 2018, even though Jonathan Taylor, you know, ran for 2,000 yards in each of those years, it's, it's not like it was a dominating, dominating off an offensive line performance. So can this group be dominating? And that defense, it's a top 10 unit, right? But there are some uh, new faces there along the defense line. We think they're going to be fine, but we don't know that. Like, and there's these same questions with everybody, but. When it comes to Wisconsin and Ohio State, replacing guys for Ohio State is one thing compared to Wisconsin replacing guys. And the talent there, as you said, is just it's just different. I actually asked this question to former director of player personnel, Saeed Khalif, for that q and I did a couple of weeks ago. And I, I asked if he thought Wisconsin was in position to close the recruiting gap on Ohio State, which I, <laughs> I mean, I think. I would say no, just because Ohio State keeps getting top five classes and it's Wisconsin's not going to be in that category. But and, I, and then I asked her, do you view the Buckeyes in a different category from what Wisconsin's trying to do? And I mean, it's more of the same thing like we're talking about that. He said it all comes down to you'll hear coaches say good players make you a good coach. And if you're clocking top five recruiting classes every year, you're going to have better talent on your roster across the board. But he said it's, it's not for lack of trying. And you, you touched on the, the games where Wisconsin was close. But he said, we were in games where it looked like we were going to finish them and dominate them, and their talent pool overtook our talent pool. Now, as a starting group, you know, Wisconsin can, can push Ohio State. The problem, I think, happens when you've got to drop down your depth chart, and Wisconsin's putting in a, a walk-on, and Ohio State's got a four- or five-star guy. Maybe that's too simplistic, but we've seen it before. You know, Ohio State burns a, a defensive back on a play, and all of a sudden that touchdown makes a huge difference. 
um, because they've got better talent. So I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, but again, I'm, I'm not ready to, to proclaim Wisconsin as in position to beat Ohio state because nobody's done it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And you, you talk about beating, you know, the secondary, I think that still remains the biggest difference, isn't it? Like the, the skill positions on the outside, a hundred percent, what Wisconsin has in the defensive backfield. It's nice. It's, it's fine. It's going to be better than most, but it's not anywhere. It's not on the level of Ohio state's defensive backfield going against Wisconsin's skill players and Wisconsin's defensive backs going against Ohio state skill players. It usually is going to be um, pretty heavy, uh, heavily sided one way. And, and that, I not that's not necessarily the case in the trenches or even at linebacker. Like Wisconsin, I think has been able to hold up in those those respects. But when it gets to the outside, it's it's just on the you know in the defensive backfield and and on uh, the skill players on the outside, it's there's there's a pretty big gap. I think. Yeah, that's I would tend to agree. And you also need game changing types of players, and and, yeah. and you know, they, they, and they had that in Jonathan Taylor, right? Like exactly. Jonathan Taylor was a was a difference maker. And that's why, th- you know, and that's, he had that 2019 and a, and a big 10 title game after, you know, he struggled in both the 2017 game and in the 2019 game during the regular season, him coming out and, and just, you know, that first drive and just smashing it right down Ohio state's throat. And then he had that long run just before half to set up another touchdown. Like those are the type of players that you need. And, and I'm not sure. Do you think Wisconsin has one of those right now on in their backfield? I, I, I tend not to, but I, I don't know. Uh, at this point, certainly no one on the level of Jonathan Taylor, but I, I do think this is a good segue into talking about the running backs because you mentioned you had an opportunity to talk to Tyler on Monday. Um, I talked to three of the running backs, the, the three guys who were on scholarship back in the, the spring in Jalen Berger and Isaac Arendo and Julius Davis about where things stand for each of them. Um, I, yeah, I, to answer the question, I, I don't think that there's one guy in that backfield right now that, you know, puts the fear of God into the other team and it's going to get 150 yards against Ohio State because he's that talented. But I do think Berger is in position to, to make some significant strides because and I, I didn't know this, but, you know, we've talked a lot about how he <laughs> carried exactly 15 times in all four games last season. No pitch count. No pitch. Right. Count. Pitch counts for baseball. That's what Paul Chris said when you asked him. But when I was talking to Jalen, I, I asked whether like, were you injured or sort of strange that you carried exactly 15 times? And he actually said that he's got something called Osgood Schlatter disease, which is sounds worse than it is. Um, but it's basically, it's a childhood repetitive use injury that you get this lump on your kneecap and it happens when you, usually when you play sports and run and dr- jump and you have growth spurts and it can be really painful. And the reason that I know that is because I had that too, <laughs> um, oddly enough. He, he said that that started his senior year in high school and um, it created some discomfort. Like it, it came and went last season, but he also said that I don't think it was a coincidence that I carried, you know, the same amount of times in those games. So I do think that was interesting because that's, that's something that I had not heard before. And if he's, he's, if he's healthy, um, like he feels like he's going to be utilized a lot more this season in the offense, especially in the passing game, because he said, I'm not a 230 pound back. So 30 carries, that's not going to do much for me. That's not going to happen. But if I can get those touches somewhere else, then I can be valuable. And I think he and Ches Malusi are going to be able to do that. And Isaac Arendo as well. This will be to me a, a really versatile, talented backfield. And maybe collectively they can have the type of impact that 
one all Big Ten caliber running back will have. Yeah, pitch count or not, he only carried it 15 times in in his games last year. And do you think, do you envision him getting more carries than that in a single game? Or do you envision him, you know, being used in maybe getting that number of carries, but then also being used in other ways, like in the past game, which I think is probably something he, you know, is something that certainly he did in high school and certainly that could right. be used for them, uh, could, could use them. Then again, his skill set, very similar to that of Ches Malouse. Right. Will there be games where he gets more than 15? I think so, but I also think that it's going to be more. It's it's going to be more of a by committee approach this year because I think their skill sets are similar. I think Malusi at this point seems to be maybe the most reliable as a the third down kind of guy. Which, by the way, Gary Brown isn't like he is not coaching these guys, and it's something Isaac Arendo said that that he wants all of them to be every down backs, and he's trying to teach them in that way. But at, at a certain point. When it gets to crunch time and you put somebody in there for those moments, I think it'll be Malusi. So, I mean, that could limit Jalen's opportunities. But I see all three of those guys being used in a bunch of different ways, Garendo included. And maybe it's a situation where it's, you know, 15 carries for one, 13 for another, and six for another or something like that. Because all three of them are going to play. Yeah. Whenever you watch Isaac, do you always, do you sometimes just think about what John Settle said about him at the Rose Bowl? That he's every bit as talented as Jonathan Taylor. Yes. Like, does that go through your mind at all? Like, sometimes it does, especially like on, on a when he, when he shows that burst that he's got, and uh, you know, and he's a bigger guy too. Like, he's easily the biggest of the guys that are. Well, I shouldn't say it. Braylon Allen's a pretty big guy too, but in terms of the guys that, in terms of those three, he's he is different than the other two. And oh, a hundred percent. I didn't mean to cut you off, Zach, but I mean I think that's a good that's a good way to put it because when I asked Jalen about him. He said, I watched him run 24 miles per hour in practice. So just to get him the ball out in space would be different. That's the same word that he used. And I mean, you can tell there's some excitement in the way that that Gary Brown talks about him, too, because I when he, I was talking to Gary a week or two ago, he said that I think he has the ability to be a type of matchup issue for linebackers because of his receiver background. But I still think he's a hell of a running back. And I think if we can somehow find a niche for him and use that combination of skill set, we'll be in good shape. So. Yeah, there, there, there are some special qualities there because of how fast he is. For him, it's been a matter of staying healthy with the hamstring issue, and, and he has been healthy to this point. So he's, he's going to give himself an opportunity to contribute. Yeah, that, that sound you hear is Gary Brown knocking on wood, as Jesse said. Mm, that. Right. right. All right, let's move on. We're going to get to our interview here with, with John McNamara. And then after that, we'll come back. We've got some prop bets, some, uh, some over-unders uh, after that. But first up, here is John McNamara from BadgerBlitz.com. Yes, we do welcome in BadgerBlitz.com's John McNamara here on the camp. Well, John, uh, high school football season has started in Wisconsin. It's, I know you were out at games last week. We'll be out at games again this week. Uh, but obviously, Wisconsin's gotten a couple of big names in Wisconsin to commit, including uh, Joe Brunner, but there's uh, some others out there. And I think the big one that a lot of people are wondering about is Billy Shroud. Now it's reportedly, and I'll let you tell me if I'm wrong, right or wrong on this. It's down between Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And for a long time, a lot of people thought it was going to be Notre Dame, but now maybe the winds are switching towards Wisconsin here. Yeah, I would agree with you. And really going into the summer, um, he was a strong Notre Dame lean from everything that we could gather. And when Wisconsin was able to get him on campus uh, for his official visit, which was actually the first time they got him on campus, uh, his, his recruitment really kind of 
um, tilted towards the Badgers. And then, you know, he, he visited Wisconsin officially, Notre Dame officially, Ohio State officially. And, you know, really for the, you know, the bulk of the summer, it was Wisconsin and Notre Dame. And I don't think much has changed on that front. Um, although I would have expected him to probably make his decision by now because his, I guess his original plan was to make it before the start of his senior season. Um, that hasn't happened, but Wisconsin's going to get him on campus for an unofficial visit um, when the Badgers host Penn State. Um, you know, could he pop during that visit? Potentially. Um, does he want to see some more schools? Um, does he want to get back out to Notre Dame? I think that's a possibility as well. So, um, you know, I guess there's no urgency from, from either program. You know, he's, he's a prospect that you're going to wait for and, you know, work on his timetable. But um, in the end, I do expect him to wind up at Wisconsin, which is a pretty big shift from where we were just a couple of months ago where, um, you know, I had him future casted into to Notre Dame. John, there's two other in-state players of high interest to Badgers fans that Wisconsin offered in that 2022 class that remain uncommitted offensive lineman, Carson Hinsman, and then D lineman, Isaac Ham. Where do things stand with those two guys? Yeah, with Carson, he's another kid that I expected him to, to commit prior to the start of a senior season that has not yet happened. Um, he really hasn't talked about a top group officially or, you know, come out with an edit or anything like that, but uh, you know, it's, it's Wisconsin, it's Ohio state, Notre Dame's in there, Iowa as well. Um, he'll be on campus again, like, like Schroth is this, um, I guess it's in, you know, a week and a half here. Um, so he'll be there for the Penn state game. Um, another kid where, you know, he's looked at his options. Um, but in the end, I think he does stay home and play for Wisconsin. Um, Isaac Ham is, is someone I saw him, uh, play his scrimmage at some prairie. So week zero, I guess you could call it, um, was able to talk to him and, you know, he kind of gave me different answers where, you know, I could be committed and I think I will be, but I could also take visits. So I, I guess I'd, I'd be surprised if Wisconsin wasn't the pick for him. He talked about, you know, the top four still being in place, you know, Penn state, Ohio state, Notre Dame. Um, he did take an official to Louisville during the summer, but you know he's another guy where I guess I'd be surprised if he doesn't end up at Wisconsin. Um, you know when it's all said and done here. Didn't he say he was going to commit if Braylon Allen beat him in some competition, like lifting competition, like a year ago? And Braylon Allen did beat him in that in that competition. Yeah, I, I think then he smartly <laughs> kind of recollected his thoughts and said, "Hey, this is a pretty big decision." Um, yeah. And he probably knew going in that Braylon's going to beat him. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to lose to Braylon Allen in a weightlifting contest. Yeah. All right. So obviously those are the in-state guys. Is there, is there anybody else in state that Wisconsin is, is potentially looking at in that, that 22 class or are they kind of have their guys and now going to be moving on to, to the next, I guess, class within the state? Yeah. You know, those three guys that we talked about, um, you know, Kenneth Grant, defensive tackle from Indiana is another guy um, that they definitely want to add to this class if possible. Um, you know, he's a four-star kid out of Indiana. He's visited Wisconsin officially in the summer, uh, also looking at Ohio State and Michigan. Um, you know, really hasn't given a timetable for decision, but he'll likely end up at one of those three schools. Um, and then potentially uh, an athlete, Anthony Brown, who's expected to visit officially for the Penn State game. Um, like I said, we have a, as an athlete, Wisconsin projects him as a defensive back, uh, likely a safety there. So, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of spots left. You talk about the three in-state guys, the two guys I just mentioned, maybe one or two more scholarships pop up um, depending on, you know, what happens this fall. But it's going to be a smaller class for Wisconsin, um, you know, 15, 16, maybe it gets to 17 guys. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're just a kind of a concentrated group that they're still working on right now. John, when you look at this, 
2022 recruiting class, Wisconsin right now has 11 committed prospects. Over the last three years, the Badgers set records for how good the, how highly ranked the recruiting classes were. This year's class doesn't appear as though it's going to match those numbers. What do you make of what Wisconsin has done with the class? Is this what you expected, or do you think the Badgers took a step back at all? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, when the dust settles here, I think fans are going to be disappointed because they're going to look at those rankings and they're going to say, well, this, this 2021 group, the best Wisconsin's ever done inside the top 25. And, you know, just from a number standpoint, um, I don't see a scenario where Wisconsin's going to climb, you know, into the top 25 again. Um, I, I'm not really sure where they will finish, but, you know, like we talked about, you know, maybe it's 15, 16, 17 guys, and it's, it's tough to put up a top 25 recruiting class when your numbers um, just aren't up there in the, in the 20s. And, you know, Wisconsin's usually around 20 or 22 or 23 in, in that range. So they're not going to get there in terms of numbers. But, um, you know, when I look at this class, obviously I think the first thing that stands out is, um, you know, the in-state kids. And I, I do think they're going to finish strong there, you know, adding the three guys that we talked about to a class that also includes, you know, Miles Burkett, the quarterback, JT Seagreaves, uh, the tight end. Um, so, you know, that's maybe the first thing that pops there. But, um, you know, nationally, I think they've done a good job, um, you know, with a guy like Curtis Neal at a position of need like defensive tackle, being able to get him. Um, you know, you look at defensive back, Avon Jones is a guy that, you know, I think brings a ton of versatility there. So, um, you know, I like this class and I think it, it resembles the past three recruiting classes, I should say, that Wisconsin's had in terms of the talent. Um, the numbers just aren't going to be there because of, you know, the available scholarships that Wisconsin has in 2022. John, what are you hearing in regards to potential replacements for Saeed Lee for Jensen Gebhardt? Is, I mean, what's the, what's the plan there? It doesn't sound, it doesn't appear that they've replace him. Obviously, Eric Johnson, it seems, is in, is in control of that now, but what is the, what, do you know what the plan is moving forward here? That's a good question. And, you know, Eric Johnson, even when Saeed Khalif was around, I think he had his hands in some of this. And, and in the interim here, you know, he's, he certainly has led the charge and, you know, by the, the athletes that I've talked to, and even just people behind the scenes, it, it sounds like Eric Johnson is running the recruiting department right now. And I, I know Paul Chris was asked about that. And, um, you know, I don't, he didn't say, yes, Eric Johnson is taking over. Um, you know, he left the door open for, you know, maybe replacing Saeed Khalif and, and replacing the title that he held. But um, right now it looks like Eric Johnson. Um, and I don't know, you know, what it's going to look like beyond that. If they're going to hire two, three, four people um, and, and when those hires will come, if they have a, you know, an ideal number of candidates. And I know Jesse wrote about it in that exit interview, which was a great read. And, you know, you talk about Michigan State he's going to a program with maybe 12 guys working under him. I don't know how many guys Eric Johnson's going to get to work under him, but um, it's going to be interesting to track because it's, it's kind of a bare empty room right now with Eric Johnson. And I don't know who else is in there. How big of a deal do you think that is from your perspective? You've covered recruiting for a long, long time. The lack of numbers that Wisconsin has in its recruiting department is that, does that matter? Yeah, it does matter. If it didn't matter, then schools like Georgia wouldn't have, you know, 20, 30, 40 people working in the recruiting department. But um, at the same time, look, you know, Wisconsin isn't shutting down shop once Saeed Khalif left and said, you know, we're, we're done recruiting because we don't know how to do it anymore. I do think there's a formula there. But yeah, you know, you would ideally like to have as, as strong and numbers wise, as big of a recruiting department as you, as you can possibly put together, because it is such a, 
important piece to the puzzle of, of building a football team. And, you know, like you talked about with, with Saeed in, in your story, Jesse, is that, you know, recruiting goes on nonstop, you know, even during the pandemic, you shut down football, you can't practice, you shut the facilities down, but recruiting kept going each and every day. So it's, it's a 365 uh, day a year job and you want to have as many bodies as possible uh, to, to kind of keep that going. And, you know, the coaches handle, a, 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 you know, a bulk of that and, you know, they're instrumental in that, but, you know, Saeed was kind of the glue that kept it together when he's, he's talking to parents um, you know, he's, he's at the visits, he's communicating with everyone. So he's, he's kind of keeping that constant communication going, which is, which is so important on the recruiting front. So, um, yeah, you, you want to have a big, strong, healthy recruiting department. And I think maybe there's going to be more of an effort to put more resources towards that in the future. But I don't know that because again, it's, it's Eric Johnson and I don't know who else is going to join him. And if we're going to get those answers in the fall or in the winter or what the plan is on that front, I can't get many answers to that. Looking ahead to 2023, what are some of the uh, key spots and key areas that Wisconsin needs to recruit in that class? I know they've got uh, some, obviously some offers out, but where, where do you think their focus will be? Well, I think if you look at what they're not doing in 2022, which is likely not taking a scholarship running back, likely not taking a scholarship linebacker. So those two positions kind of pop up to me right away. Um, you know, one guy I would look at is JT Smith running back from North Carolina, uh, Curtis Neal's teammate at, at Ho high school down there. Um, and he'll be on campus for Wisconsin's game against Penn state. He earned his offer during camp this summer when he was on campus in Madison. Um, I believe that was Gary Brown's first official running back hire um, during his time at Wisconsin. So, you know, he's a key guy in this class. Um, I'd probably put Caden Mormon, the running back from um, Kentucky in the same boat. You know, another guy that was on campus for, for the summer earned his offer. He'll be on campus in October. So those are the two running backs I'm looking at in this class. And there's more. They have more offers out there. Um, but the interest seems to be very high from those two. Um, then you look at linebacker. They've, they've been kind of selective there at inside um, right now with Tyler Janzi, a kid from Illinois. But Bobby April, who maybe doesn't get talked enough about on the recruiting front, um, you know, he's had great success in the classes that he's had. And then in 2023, you know, he's brought a lot of national talent on campus already for unofficial visits. Um, so he's done a great job. And, you know, that outside linebacker position's kind of been, you know, the glamour position on the defense the last handful of cycles. And I think Bobby April's done an excellent job, you know, not only with the guys that he's landed, but the targets that he has um, out there in this 2023 class as well. John, I wanted to ask you one more question about the 2022 class. You mentioned Curtis Neal. Um, when we look back at the, the class as a whole, at least of the guys who have committed, uh, which of those players do you think will say that was, that was an important pickup or, or this guy, he's got a lot of potential right now and could make good on it? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of guys you could put in there. Um, potentially Curtis Neal. You know, he was someone that Rivals had as a four-star guy and then got hurt as a junior, um, not expected to play as a senior and he's coming into that kind of all-important nose tackle slash defensive tackle position. You know, maybe you lose a guy like Keanu Benton to the NFL this year. I know that he hasn't played a snap yet as a junior, but, you know, the expectations he's going to be sky high for them. So that's an important position. I think you look at a guy like Austin Brown, who is really their top safety target for, for much of the recruiting calendar. They were able to get him. Um, you know, he had some big-time offers, was looking strongly at Michigan. 
you know, Illinois made him a top priority there with Brett Bielma. Um, so he's a guy I'm looking at there. And then, um, you know, JTC Graves from inside the state, Wisconsin passed on a lot of really good tight ends in order to, to make Seagreaves the tight end that they're going to take in this class. You know, Andrew Keller from Wanakee, they didn't end up offering him. He goes to Iowa State. Um, Mike O'Reilly, a longtime target from Nebraska. They essentially chose Seagreaves over or those two and, and a lot of other guys. So um, I think the ceiling is kind of sky high for them. And, um, you know, with what they envision him doing, they saw him at camp twice. He's still kind of raw to the position. So he's a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't get talked about a lot right now, but two, three, four years, maybe he's an all caliber type big 10 tight end. Uh, I'll close with this. Uh, tw- whether it's the class, uh, class of 2023 or 2024, what are some of the in-state guys that maybe uh, get people should be keeping an eye out for? Yeah. The, you know, it's, and I've wrote about this. It's, it's a kind of a stark contrast when you look at 2022 um, where there could be, you know, 14, 15, 16 guys playing at that, that FBS level from inside the state um, or end up signing with schools um, at the FBS level. Um, in the 2023 in-state class, you know, there isn't anyone right now with a known scholarship offer. And there's really no one that you could say, hey, this guy's definitely going to get offered it from Wisconsin at some point. So, um, you know, in week one, I went out to go see Xander Rockow. Um, he's an athlete. He plays for Eau Claire Regis, um, likely projects to linebacker. Um, you know, he's someone that Wisconsin has seen at camp, maybe gets an offer, you know, especially because linebacker, like I said, I think is going to be a position of need. Um, potentially Chase Spellman, um, the quarterback from Kettle Moraine, although Wisconsin seems to have targeted some national guys there at that position. So, um, you know, it's, I hate to call it a weak in-state class, but, you know, where we are right now heading into their junior seasons, you know, no offers out there right now and no guy that you can really point to and said, yeah, he's a guy that Wisconsin is going to offer at some point and, and likely commit to the Badgers. So, um, you know, new names are going to pop out there, but where we're at right now, um, it's just not going to compare to this 2022 in-state class. Um, with that being said, uh, 2024 should be very strong. Um, Derek Jensen, um, the offensive lineman from Arrowhead, already offered by Illinois offered by Iowa state. I think he'll pick up an offer from Wisconsin when he visits for the Penn state game. Um, Adrian Thomas is a kid from Nicolay, um, a two-way player, there, wide receiver, defensive back, um, really talented um, running back from Franklin, uh, Terrence Shelton, I think can play at that high level. So, you know, right now it really early for those guys just playing their sophomore year of football here, but I think there's definitely four or five, six guys that if they kind of continue to go in the right direction where a lot of people expect them to be, they're, they're going to be high, you know, high level FBS players. All right, John. Hey, certainly appreciate your time and uh, we'll see you down the road. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on today. All right. There he is. John McNamara from badgerblitz.com. All right. want to get into uh, some over-under, some prop bets here, Jesse, uh, as uh, the season will uh, get going. What, uh, Nine days from now, as I said, going to be doing two shows all year. We'll be back uh, with a show on Monday and then obviously a show again on Friday right before the game. And we'll give our game predictions and all that type of, type of stuff. But maybe we'll, maybe we'll do some of our season stuff uh, within this. But I wanted to start with Graham Mertz, the number of touchdowns he is going to throw this year over under 15 and a half. I will take the over. <laughs> um I, I just think if everybody's healthy, they're going to be throwing the ball a, a, 
fair number of times and even to the running backs based on my conversations with some of those guys. So you give him hypothetically 14 games, 13 games, maybe if they don't go to a big 10 championship game and, but they do to go to a bowl. Yeah. I'll take the over. What's the, I mean, how many quarterbacks have thrown more than 15 and a half touchdowns in Wisconsin football history in a single season? I mean, obviously Russell did with 33, right? And so did Alex Hornibrook. Jack Cohen, I think, was like 17, right? Well, there's been at least 10. I'm looking at the record book right now. Okay. Uh, Russell, you mentioned, had 33. Hornerbrook had the 25. Joel Stave, back in that magical 2013 year when he was slinging it around through 22. Stocko had 21 in 2005. Randy Wright in 1983 threw 19 touchdown passes. And Daryl Bevel in 93 through 19. And then you've got four other guys who had 17. Stocko in 06, Bevel in 94, Jim Sorge in 2003, and Tyler Donovan in 2007. So that's at least – that's 10 guys with, with 17 plus. I think that's that, – that is uh, – is that the 2019 or is that 2020? Yeah, it doesn't include uh, – yeah, it doesn't include uh, Jack Cohn season. So yeah, okay. apologies to Jack. So that's 11 guys. Um, right. So then – so, so, so this is a pretty easy one for you then. I think so. Okay. What do you got over or under? I'll go over. I'll go over. Yeah. Uh, You know what? You're right. I should, uh, I should be marking these down so that uh, we can come back and uh, shove them in each other's face when one of us is right or one of us is wrong uh, come uh, December. Is that, is that kind of what you're asking here for Jesse? No, I just, I just want you to put some on record. If I've got (laughs) to, if I got to throw these answers out there, I just want to hear your perspective. All right. Uh, Over under Jalen Berger touchdowns, Seven and a half. Wow. Hmm. Is that including receiving touchdowns? Yeah, overall touchdowns, all touchdowns, total touchdowns. Uh, I'm going over. Okay. I think he's. I think he's going to have a, a big impact, and uh, I think he's going to do some damage through the air because he did that a lot in high school. And I realize it's a different level, but we we saw glimpses of it even in his first game. It, it, how, how smooth he is catching passes out of the backfield. So I'll go over. All right, I'm going to go under. I will go okay. under with that one. Ches Malusi, over under 725 and a half yards rushing. Not total yards, rushing yards. Wow, that's going to be about 50-plus yards a game if they get 14. Um, I'll go I'll go ooh, under, I guess. I guess I, I don't know. I've waffled on who I think the leading rusher is going to be, but if I think it'll be Jalen... And I think he'll get a thousand plus. I think there'll be another guy that gets seven twenty-five. Okay, I, I I'm going to go under as well because my next question is over under Isaac Garendo. Yeah, five hundred and a half yards over and over. Excuse me, over or under for you? Uh, rushing? Yes, I'll go under. Oof, you All are right. on the Isaac Garendo train. I am. I think I think he goes over that. I think he okay. does. I'm I'm a I'm a over on uh, Isaac Rendo because I believe in him staying healthy. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's actually going to happen because it just hasn't happened. But if it's if it does, I think he ends up. I think he ends up over that 500 and a half yards. I don't know if that leads the team. I, I've kind of wavered on that necessarily. I think we kind of had that conversation off air that I thought Isaac was going to lead them in rushing. I've kind of eh, brought myself back down a little bit on that, but. 500 and a half yards. I'm going to take the over on Isaac Garendo and that Danny Davis, his career high in catches is 40. 
Over under 40 and a half catches for Danny Davis this year. Oof. It's really, it's only got to be three catches a game. So it's a matter of, is he healthy? Uh, and despite the last week, I will say over. I think he'll lead the team in receptions. I think Ferguson will be second. I think Ferguson leads him in uh, catches. I think Davis leads him in yards. So uh, yeah, that might be a better prediction. Yeah, but so he'll I'm be gonna, one, two in some capacity. Yeah, I, I feel like those the, the catches, I think the catches will be over, but I don't think that's, I still think Jake leads him. I still think Jake ends up with more catches than that. Uh, than the than whatever whatever Danny Davis ends up with, I think Jake ends up with more. Okay. Um, but I do think it'll be over forty and a half. Over under Kendrick Pryor, two and a half rushing touchdowns. Now he's got five rushing touchdowns in his career. He's gone two. I think he went two one two in his time. They've got that Kendrick Pryor sweep, but uh, he seems to score on every time he touches it. But over under two and a half rushing touchdowns for Kendrick Pryor. I'm gonna go under. They've put it on film too much. Someone's got to stop it. You would think so, but eh, everything looks, (laughs) you would think so, but yet he scored on it four or five times. So I tend to believe that, you know, if if you do do it four or five times, it's going to happen again. So I'm, I'm going to, I don't know about taking the over under. Come on. You are well on your way. Be the contrarian. All right. I'll I'll go over. I'm going to say over. He's going to get three, three rushing touchdowns. I, I will say this, and we kind of talked about it last week. I don't have anything in here about uh, Chimray DK, but I do think Ken, uh, Chimray ends up with more catches than Kendrick. So I think we kind of talked about that la- earlier this week. But I, I, I do think Kendrick's going to be involved in the in the run game as that, whether it's you know it's a jet sweep or whether it's you know the Kendrick sweep, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, I don't even know if that's a a bold prediction that Chimray's going to wind up with more catches, I and mean, he's. He's definitely had um, a really good offseason and looks like he's in position to, to break out even more. So I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Jake Ferguson, over under one and a half million mentions that he is Barry Alvarez's grandson. Well, what would be the per broadcast <laughs> uh, number on that over the course of 14 games? I'm going to take the over. It would be... <laughs> Uh, one and a half, one million point five over under. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to take, I'm going to take the over on that as well. That's that, I think that's an easy, that's an easy one. Uh, Leo, Leo Chanel over under eight and a half sacks. Ooh. Wow. Um, I believe he had four last year, right? He had three last year in okay. seven games. I mean, they didn't get a ton of sacks last year, so I don't, I think they're going to, be way better in that area, but uh, wow, I'm gonna go under. Okay, I think Nick Herbig's gonna lead the team in sacks. That's that's that is bold. I'm wondering if he's gonna be wearing that that cast throughout the entire season. I I, I kind of will. Uh, that that is a little bit of a mystery to me. Um, he's got he's got the cast on. He's still. I mean, he's his fingers are out, but I if he can't if he's having to wear that the entire season. Uh, it's difficult for me to see him leading the sacks just because, you know, you can pressure and the pressure is more important, but getting the quarterback down on the ground obviously is, <laughs> is a big part of the sack process, right, Jesse? Uh, and <laughs> I, I think, uh, I think with the, with the cast, I don't know if he's going to be as successful doing that. That is a valid point. I suppose we'll see whether that's still on there in the opener. Yes, we will. Uh, Scott Nelson 
over under two and a half interceptions. I am going to go over. I think he is. I think he's put himself in position for a big year, and I, I I'm going over. Yeah, feel feel like we've been saying that since uh, his redshirt freshman season. He had two picks. La- I mean, technically, he led the team in interceptions last year, even though all he had was two, and that was in six games. So that's not, not technically. I mean, that's that's well, it is, but it is technically, technically and, <laughs> and and it's accurate. It is it is accurate, but like that, not a very impressive number to lead a team with. But still, he had two and six games. So yeah, I'm gonna go with the over. Yeah, I know. I know Jim Leonard has talked about him like from the 2019 when he got hurt. He thought he was gonna he was gonna have a breakout year. Yeah, and and then he gets hurt, misses the rest of the season. You know, last year, you know, working his way back from it, didn't play in the opener. First play of the first play of the season for him, at least defensively, was an interception. So. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I, I uh, I'll take the over on that as well. How many times? I mean, they're going to get some opportunities. I think they're going to pressure the quarterback enough that there are going to be some balls up in the air that they're going to be able to 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 take care of. All right, over under three and a half defensive touchdowns this year. Wow, I'm going to go over because I think this is a top ten defense and they just make things happen. So I expect them to be more disruptive up front. I expect them to get some picks. And take it to the house. I want to say they had four in 2019, didn't they? Because Noah Burks returned t- one for a touchdown. Uh, Matt Henningsen had one uh, in. He had two touchdowns actually. I believe mm-hmm. he, he mm-hmm. had the touchdown against South Florida. Then also recovered a fumble in the end zone off of uh, Eric Burrell's hit in Northwestern game. And then Zach Bond also took one back for a touchdown against Michigan State. I think they had four. I could be wrong. I might be missing one in there somewhere, but I know they had at least four. So I will say, I'm going to say over as well. Maybe this is a good place to put this, but uh, Kendrick, when I was talking to Kendrick Pryor is, you know, about the defense, I did, not, I did not ask him to compare this defense to anybody. You know, obviously, he just plays against it all the time, but he, he said he thought that it's the defense that matches up best with 2017. Okay. And we know, how, we know how good that 2017 defense was. And, I, I, you know, after he said it, I'm like, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. I think we've talked about that. I think this has a chance to be the best defense since 2017. But his... His confirmation of that makes you feel a little bit better about it. Um, (laughs) I just wrote about the defensive line, actually, which is a big reason why I think that this defense uh, is in position to to get to that level. Like we know about the returning starters at at linebacker, and and I think the secondary has got a lot of talent as well. But um, I think they they were impressive, the D-line. And and granted, they're just (laughs) can't actually sack people, all that stuff. But they built some depth in fall camp that's going to be vital. Yeah, I, I agree. A couple more here. Over under one and a half kick or punt returns for a score. They have not, uh, I don't believe they returned a punt for a touchdown since Nick Nelson in 2017. Obviously, Aaron Cruikshank took a couple of kicks back in 2019, but didn't have anything last year and he is no longer here. So, gosh, you just wonder what they would have been able to do with him if he had stuck around. Either way, apparently, <laughs> apparently, apparently going to have. Uh, a healthy role there at, at Rutgers this year, but one and a half kick or punt returns. I'm not asking for one of both or two from, from each, just one and a half kick or punt returns for a score. I will go under. Um, if anyone's going to do it to me, I had Devin Chandler on kick returns. Cause it just seems like he's got some special ability. We saw the return he had against Wake Forest. I am, uh, I'm not necessarily sold on the punt return team, uh, breaking off some monstrous runs. Really, the focus seems to be just 
catch the ball and don't let it roll because as Chris Herring said, you lose on average 18 yards if you do that. So I think it'll more likely come from the kick return group, but I will still take the under. First touchdown of the year. Oh man, now we are getting into it. Uh, Graham Mertz with a pass to himself. (laughs) Well, who scores it? I'm going to go Jake Ferguson. Yeah, that's me. It'll be a classic play tight end yeah it's i'm gonna go ferguson it's either that or john schnell uh, <laughs> fullback dive on fourth and goal at the one i love right? it <laughs> or 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 like it was with graham Mertz's first touchdown last year it was the the play fake and over the top to uh mason stocky for the touchdown but there you go yeah uh that's the one i would i would say over under paul christ use of the word appreciate or appreciated in post-game press conferences this year i'm gonna set it at 19 and a half. Oh, uh, over. I mean, he only has to, <laughs> use, he only has to say it twice a game, twice every post game. Uh, am I shutting? I'm, I'm keeping it way too low. Aren't I? Should I, should I reset that? What's, what's going to make, just give me a number, have, just give me make, any number. I'll yeah, take the over. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All Wait, right. Put it in the thirties and I, I will still take the over. All right. I'm going to put it at 40 and a half. Nothing wrong with appreciating, uh, the opportunity and the, the players and what they've done to be fair. Of course, always appreciate it. Would you rather it. appreciate it or would you rather wrap your arms around it and away we go? <laughs> I'd rather do neither. Uh, I'd rather hear neither ever again. But 40, all right, so you, you say in the 30s, 45 and a half. Oh, my God. Now we're getting the three plus per game. I will still take the over. <laughs> <laughs> and our final one here, we'll wait for our big, well, we'll do our predictions next week for the for the season in the Big Ten and all that stuff. Uh, we'll we'll pull our Ralph Russo next week. But wins over under nine and a half. Oh man! Oh man! Now regular season. I assume you're asking. Yes. Okay. So they have twelve regular season games. Are we counting yes. the Big Ten title game as a regular season or that postseason? Ah, uh, it's postseason. I mean, we okay. know they'll play twelve games. So all right. Nine so and you're. Half. Essentially saying, if you go over, you're saying 10 and two are better. If you go under, yeah. you're saying nine and three are worse. God, this is tough. I, um, I'm going to go under. <laughs> mm. Someone is not very high in this Wisconsin football team. His name is Jesse Temple. Well, wow. That's a headline to blast out there. Yeah. I don't think they're going to beat Notre Dame right now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that that's a less margin for error. And I don't know what happens against Penn State. I just, I don't know. They, if they beat Penn State, then I will say the over, but that doesn't really count right now. <laughs> it doesn't it's just count like, at all. But it's just like, I don't, I think they're going to be really good. But like, then if they go out and lose to Penn State, it'll change everything. That's what I love about a college football season is every week is like, an indictment on where a team is. Yeah. No, the, the headline, Jesse, is National Writer thinks Wisconsin's going to the college football playoff. Writer that actually covers a team says they're not going to get better than nine and a half wins. They could go nine and three, though. That's a good season. Although I don't think that would are you make Nebraska? very happy. Are, are you Nebraska under... Uh, <laughs> but who, who Bopolini? Bopolini, yeah, no, Bopolini. Nine seasons. It was uh, the guy before him that took, that took uh, what's his name, spot. Um, not before him. I think they took... Bill Callahan came in after... Who's the guy who was at Ohio? Frank Solich. Frank Solich. Yep. Frank Solich. Nine and three. Not good enough at Nebraska. So they let him go. And uh, I yes. mean, as someone who covers the team, I would probably be great to be proven wrong because they'll be way more relevant. Uh, it's just it's a tough schedule, I feel like, which you could say a lot. But, you know, that Notre Dame game really throws a wrench in the uh, 
there's not three cupcake non-conference. You know, they're going to be three and zero automatically. And you can't even throw Army in that either, right? You can't throw Army into Mm-mm. the cupcake schedule. I mean, you can throw Eastern Michigan in there, but you can't really yeah. throw can't throw Army in there with that triple option. Yeah. So, and Penn State, Michigan, um, Michigan has stunk for a while, but you know, it's in Ann Arbor. No, or is it not. here? It's here. <laughs> it's here. Never all mind. Their, like all their tough conference. <laughs> I mean, all their tough conference games are at home. Like uh, truly tough games, cu- tough conference games. Obviously, go to Rutgers, go to Purdue, go to Illinois, and go to Minnesota. But none of those would be considered um, intimidating venues, right? So we'll see. Nine and a half wins. Give me, give me your. What do you got? Yeah, I got, I got them going fifteen and zero and, and winning the title. So okay, now that um, is a bold prediction. <laughs> cut that out and place that somewhere. No, I, I'll go. I'll. Uh, I think they. I, I think they do beat Penn State. I do okay. think. Um, but so I think that I think they end up ten and two. I think they lose to. Okay. I think they lose to Notre Dame, and I think they lose another game somewhere else. Oh, uh, I mean, maybe we can wait until the Notre Dame game. But another one I was thinking here: more yards in, Notre, in the Notre Dame game. Graham Mertz or Jack Cohn? You're really uh, putting me out there right now. I'm going to go Jack Cohn. Uh, yeah. uh-huh. I don't know. You I think mean, Jack Cohn's going to rip him up, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, there's your bulletin board material, Wisconsin. I just, ah, that is a massive game for, for Jack. I know he would never say it, but man, I yes. do think he's going to go out there and just <laughs> crush it. Yeah. The the funny thing about that whole situation is um, nobody at Wisconsin dislikes Jack whatsoever. No, like not Jack at is, all. He's still loved at Wisconsin, like uh, among the team, right? Like he, he still has all their love and everything like that, but there has to be just an app. Well, we know there's an absolute fire burning within his family, um, but I have to imagine that there's also a, uh, a significant burn within Jack as well to prove or to, to show that, you know, I was the starter in 2019. I led it to a big 10 West title. We went to the Rose bowl and then I lose my job to a guy who's, you know, to be fair, not even playing that well. And, um, and I couldn't get it back. So there has to be, there has to be a little bit of uh, a fire you would think within Jack Cohn for that game. And I certainly don't think that's the reason he picked Notre Dame. I think it was just a, a happy, uh, not a coincidence, but it, it's a happy addition to being able to play at a university and, a, and an opportunity to play for a college football uh, national championship that, Let's be fair about it. Notre Dame has been much closer than Wisconsin has to that. So I think it's just a little added benefit to it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And Jack, frankly, had one of the most underrated seasons by a quarterback ever at Wisconsin. I just I mean, Graham was there waiting in the wings and it was just like, can we see Graham play? But you don't realize what's right in front of you. And so he isn't worse (laughs) and he's got a lot of weapons around him. So, man, fun. But we've got a month to, to talk that one up. Yeah, for sure. All right, Jesse, uh, we'll be back. Uh, Certainly appreciate you. Appreciate John McNamara, you for taking the opportunity to join me today and for John taking the opportunity to respond to my DM. And uh, really do just appreciate everything that you guys have done for the show today. I see what you did there, and I like it. (laughs) All right. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.